Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. My name's Chris. And I'm Gary. And this week we are discussing a film by one of my favourite directors. One of yours? Yeah, one of mine. Um, Court favourite? Uh-huh. Horror elements? Yeah. Uh, and lots of other. It's uh, Body Double. It is. From 1984. From 1984. What a year for cinema. Oh, such a great year for cinema. A really, really good year for cinema, definitely. I don't know what George Orwell was going on about. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Did you even get that reference? (laughs) Okay, it's all right. Uh, But yeah, Body Double. Misunderstood classic, would we say? I I think... At the time? Mm, Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um... Well, I mean, the problem is that people just weren't... Well, I mean, not everyone, obviously, but a lot of people, specifically critics and studios, weren't sex positive in the 80s. And I think that's where this film fails... Failed, should I say, with uh, audiences and critics back then. Whereas now, I mean, this is a film to be celebrated. It's fantastic. Um, Apart from one element, it's actually aged brilliantly. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I've seen a lot of people on Letterboxd really appreciating it recently. So uh, I think that, yeah, I think it's found its place in twenty twenty three. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think it is one of those films that has been re-examined from a modern perspective. Yeah, it's actually frustrating. A lot of the trivia is, you know, about everyone's reaction to. A film promoting sex and porn stars um, in the eighties, and it's just oh my god! Looking at it from a modern perspective, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, to a certain degree, we we do come at things from the point of view of our political standpoint. Um, so I do think there are people now that wouldn't understand the film, and through film history. Uh, particularly horror films, there tends to be certain aspects of films that people latch on to mm-hmm. and they create a narrative based on that one thing. In slasher films, it's violence against women, you know, in sort of rape-revenge cinema, it, it's the, the rape aspect of those films and they don't really necessarily look at the nuances. That's not to say that these... All of these films are, you know, positive. Mm. That's not to say yeah. that, but they tend to latch onto one aspect mm-hmm. and go with it, and then that's it. Yeah. You know, it, it's shite. Yeah. It's bottom of the barrel. And I really don't think that's the case, particularly with Body Double, which no. I think is a fantastic film. Yeah. I mean, it, written and directed by Brian De Palma, a man that was accused of being misogynistic for making this film, which mm-hmm. is. Absolute nonsense. I mean, Brian De Palma, director of Carrie, which is a gigantic feminist film, um, easily. Would you you agree? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, um, I, I, I do agree. Dress to Kill, Scarface, Mission Impossible, Phantom of the Paradise, The Untouchables, Blowout, The Fury, etc., uh, etc. Et um, there was so much going on about Brian De Palma being misogynistic that people even started spreading rumours that he had many actresses up to his house to perform the uh, erotic masturbation sequence from the film. Yes. Yes, unfortunately, that was the rumour. 
Yeah, and then that's one thing that they latch onto. Mm-hmm. It's one scene in this two-hour film. Yeah. It's a very small part of it. and People latch onto that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this is a misogynistic film. I mean, the female characters... Uh, I mean, essentially, the first main female character is there to be spied on and to be murdered. But once you're introduced to the second female character, perhaps a little too late into the film... She's very strong-minded and absolutely stands by what she believes, and she's a great character. But I feel that that's, the female representation isn't necessarily the point of the film. No. It's the male representation and how they treat women. Yeah. The female characters in this film are very minor characters. Yeah, yeah. But the film does speak on the relationship between men and women. Yeah. And how men treat women. Mm -hmm. And it takes a great director to be able to do that without having huge female characters within the film. You know, trust and believe, on this podcast, you know, if you've listened to any of our episodes, we love films about women. We love films with very strong female characters. We enjoy that. That's what we Mm -hmm. lean into in our tastes in films. This is a film that manages to be able to speak on that without having necessarily the women speak for themselves. Uh-huh. And that's what the film is meant to be doing. Yeah. That's what, that is the purpose of the film. And I think if the female characters were bigger, were larger, had more dialogue, the meaning of the film would be lost. Yeah. And I genuinely feel that. Um, that's not to say there aren't queens in this film course mm-hmm. but i don't feel like that was the point and no. obviously we'll get into it during the episode uh, brian de palma actually got the idea to direct this film after working with a body double for angie dickinson's iconic shower scene in dress to kill wasn't and... it blanche Devereux that did the uh, body double yes it was yeah <laughs> yeah um and he originally planned for this to be the first hollywood film to boast unsimulated sex scenes but the studio were not gonna have I feel like that would have been interesting, mm-hmm. but maybe distracting. Yeah. I I do believe, I didn't think, I don't think that would have been necessary. Yeah. So part of me is quite glad that they didn't do that. It's co-written by Robert J. Avrek, who did The Devil's Arithmetic, Within These Walls, Close to Eden, Blood Bride, Running Delilah, Max Q, Emergency Landing, and more. It was made on the budget of $10 million, and it only made $8.8 million worldwide. Yes. Maybe the uh, real sex would have helped. Yeah. In that. <laughs> wow. Well, but it's not all about making money, of course. No, it's, I mean, you know, as I said, it, it is a cult film now. Yes, um, yes. It's very much got a cult following, um, which is great. Should we talk about who's in it? Of course, because there's a lot of them in the section we like to call Hey. I know you. So some of the ones I've got down are Craig Wasson as Jake Scully. Yeah. Uh, the star of A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, uh, Schizoid, George's Friends, Malcolm X, Murder, She Wrote, Sasquatch Mountain, Aquila and the Bee, and more. He was in Ghost Story, wasn't he? Was he? Because I was just about to say, I need to correct something I said in last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that he was the guy from Problem Child, the uh, the guy who adopts said Problem Child, 
But he's not. That's John Ritter. Um, oh. I get John Ritter and Craig Wasson mixed up so much. Really? Like, even after all these years, I think they look so alike. Look, he looks like Bill... Um, may I? Bill... Oh, I can't remember his surname. He's someone yeah. from... I mean, I'm, I'm showing Chris my laptop right now. Yeah. Like, how much does he look like John Ritter in Brown oh, Child? Me, yeah, okay. He yeah. looks just like him. But he looks like... I think his name's Bill Mayer or, or something. Yeah. He does sort of political commentary and talk shows in America. But he was in House... I think he was in House 2. Okay. Um, He did some film work. He looks... He very much looks like Yeah. Him. It, it, he's one of those American celebrities that hasn't really translated to the UK. <laughs> Forgive me if I got his name wrong. Uh, Craig Watson, like everyone else in this film, does a really good job. I think he does an excellent job. Yeah. I, I really do, actually. Yeah. Greg Henry uh, plays Sam Butchard and, spoiler alert, Alex Ravel. <gasps> same person. Uh, he is known for Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, most recently part three. Yeah, uh, when there's like a big reveal, but I couldn't remember. I was like, is he famous? Who's he meant to be? Greg Henry in cinemas right now. Payback, Sliver, Scandal, Scarface, Raising Kane, Just Before Dawn, The Balco Experiment, and more. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't, obviously I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy films, but he is one of those faces. Where I know him, but it's hard to pinpoint. But now I know. Body door. Yeah. Um... He also does a great job. There's one massive problem with his character, which we'll get to when we get to it. Um, but I like his uh, his sort of range between uh, nice guy just meeting someone coincidentally to psychopathic killer. Yeah, yeah, and he he has a bigger role than you initially think. Yeah, <laughs> but there's a reason for that. Uh, but on watching again you know he does do a good job he does he does do a good job uh the queen herself manly griffiths is back on this podcast she is after being in fear city she's holly body in this and of course if you listen to the fear city episode you'll know she's star of something wild working girl the disaster artist cecil be demented mulholland falls and more she said that the role in this film actually was a massive contribution to her landing the roles in Something Wild and Working Girl. Yeah, this is very much in keeping with what Melanie Griffith does so well. Yeah. She does a, a sort of... I think her voice helps with this. Mm-hmm. But it's a, a childlike presence, mm-hmm. but with a very sort of adult mind. Yeah. Um, famously in Working Girl, she said she's got a, a mind for business and a body for sin. And she does that very sexual character so well, but with a childlike naivete, but with something else, you know, a very old school Hollywood blonde, yeah. Marilyn Monroe-esque. Which is very useful for this film, considering very it's, useful. Uh, like a lot of Brian De Palma films, heavily go for Hitchcock. Yes, absolutely. I don't. I um, they were friends before Melanie Griffith got the role. Yeah. Um. But I think number one, she's perfect for the role. She and is. And number two, I don't think the her being Tippi Hedren's daughter was lost on Brian. No. Well, Tatum O'Neill, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Carrie Fisher all auditioned for the role but turned it down. 
Brooke Shields was offered the role, but turned it down in order to study French literature at Princeton. And Linda Hamilton turned down the role in order to prepare for a role in The Terminator. Yeah, I think they would have been good choices. Brooke Shields, too young. Yeah. I think you needed someone just a little older for the role. And I, I think it's perfect casting. I really do. Yeah. And also, uh, porn star Annette Haven was originally cast for the role of Holly, but Columbia Pictures decided to turn her down when their executives saw what kind of movies she had been making. Haven later stated that she was happy because of that because she didn't like the script and didn't want to be in a film with gory violence. However, if you've listened to our podcast before, you'll have heard us rant about the double standards of Hollywood in many cases, and this is a great example of that. Michael Kearns, who is credited as male porn star, actually starred in a gay porn film titled Alle Tall and Die. Despite his porn past, Kearns was still cast because the studio felt it was right that uh, he was the right actor to audition for the part. So, a male porn star who general audiences wouldn't know is gay. No. Is fine to cast in the role, but a female porn star isn't... Mm. But also, he's not exactly top of billing. He's not. He's not. To be fair, which I don't like saying, uh, but to be fair, he's not exactly... His name's not going to be above the title at any time. Melanie Griffith was a big part of the film. Yeah. Really. Her character was a big part of the second half of the film. So I do understand that. From that perspective, I don't think, I don't agree with it. I think if the actress was good for the role, mm. it doesn't matter what she did yeah. in her past. Yeah. But I think that's a conversation. <laughs> it might go on a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as, as far as I know, they do have some um, porn stars in this film, in mm. uh, female. Yes. Uh, including Annette Haven herself in smaller roles. It's just, I mean, it's just kind of sad that a studio wouldn't put that faith in someone just in, in a lead role just because she was a porn actress. Yeah. You know? Even though what the the subject matter of the yeah, film. Exactly. And the violence involved mm-hmm. and, you know, all that. Um, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone could have done the role better than Melanie Griffith no, did. No. But it irks me that that's the reason why yeah. they wouldn't give her the role. Um. Deborah Shelton plays Gloria Ravel, model and actress Deborah Shelton, um, who was in Sins of the Night, Target Witness, Nemesis, Plughead, Rewired, Circuit, Circuitry Man 2, Desire, Blood Type, Surprise, Surprise, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and more. Uh, she was given two scenes to rehearse for the film. One was from Body Heat, and the other was from Scenes from a Marriage. Yes, so... De Palma wanted to sort of see two sides to her. She, it's not a huge character. She doesn't have to do a massive amount of acting, really. Mm. But I think what she does is very good. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, scenes from a marriage is about someone who isn't in the best marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, we've not seen the film, um, but that's what I gather. <laughs> yeah. And then, obviously, Body Heat is somebody who's very sexual, very sensual and um, femme fatale-esque. Mm-hmm. So I can see why those were the two films chosen. I think she looked um, very much like um, 
my god, Queen B movie screen Queen Caroline Monroe. Caroline Monroe. She did. Yeah. She did. She very much looked like her. Gorgeous woman. Gorgeous woman. I think she does a fantastic job. And I'd like to see a lot of her other films because they look ridiculous. Well, <laughs> her face and body may have been in it, but her voice was not. No. Helen Shaver is uncredited as Gloria's voice. She was in Desert Hearts, The Amityville Horror, Poltergeist, The Legacy, The Craft, 13 Reasons Why, Tremors 2, Aftershocks, and more. Yeah, she doesn't speak the most. No. But it is kind of obvious <laughs> that yeah. she has been done. Uh-huh. Uh, do you have anyone else? I do. Just a little, couple of little roles. Um, Barbara Crampton. So feature-length debut, theatrically released feature-length debut. Yeah, she plays Carol in a very small role. <laughs> uh, Brink Stevens is in a very small role as well. She's one of the um, um, oh, horn actresses yeah. in, in the film. Um, and uh, I think that's about it, really. There is... Um, it's a show that I'm not very familiar with, but Dennis Franz was in this. So a De Palma regular. He was in Scarface, Blowout, Dressed to Kill. Uh, he was also in Psycho 2, Die Hard 2, The Player, Popeye. Um, but I think he's most famous for NYPD Blue. But yeah. Okay. That's the, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a big show. I think it was a big yeah. show in America, NYPD Blue. But yeah. So, let's talk about our feature presentation. Don't blink. You're about to witness a crime of illusion. An act of deception. A vision of murder. Brian DePalma, body double. You can't believe everything you see. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theatre near you. Yeah, so we're introduced to struggling actor Jake Scully, who has recently lost his role as a vampire in a low-budget horror film after his claustrophobia thwarts shooting. And the film opens with essentially a B-movie cheesy opening. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what we realise is that it's the filming of this film. It's called Vampire's Kiss, which went on to actually become a film. I don't it think did. it's affiliated in any way, but it's a good title, so I can see why it was used twice. Jake looks like a cheap Billy Idol wannabe crossed with Frankenfurter yeah. from uh, Rocky Horror. He does. And he's in this casket, which is sort of built into a wall. So we're on a set, and he, he does, you know, he has a panic attack, essentially, yeah. doesn't he, uh, due to his claustrophobia. Um, he's very apologetic afterwards. And then the sun catches on fire in the background. Yes. So we kind of see where the film's mm -hmm. going. Uh, this guy, I feel like he's going to get himself into some trouble. Yeah, Ruben, the director, played by Dennis Franz, uh, he based his portrayal of this character on Brian De Palma. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. He calls people babe a lot. He does. Is that a Brian De Palma uh, thing? Maybe. I mean, I'm not. I could. I feel like it could be. He's also wearing his Brian De Palma's clothes as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, the Scully he grabs some hot dogs after his terrible day and goes home to find his girlfriend Carol, Barbara Crampton, uh, cheating on him. Yes. In in a uh, very very awkward position. 
Her, her look at the camera is so fucking awkward. It is. It is. This is her first film role. And uh, she, she's sort of topless on, on top of this manor. We never see the man. No. But we know what's happening. And she looks shocked. Uh, Scully looks upset. And then just leaves. Yeah. Doesn't say anything, doesn't get angry, doesn't go wild, doesn't chastise her in any way. And it's the only time we see her. Mm-hmm. That's it. But I thought what was quite interesting is on, on the lead up to us, us really, and Jake mm-hmm. finding Carol, there's a neon sign that says Jake loves Carol. Uh-huh. And uh, there's two, I think they were like mannequins, like holding hands mm-hmm. in one of the rooms with their sort of faces yeah. printed on them. Um, so it's, um, I, su- I suppose it says a lot in a little about yeah. sort of their relationship and how loved up they are and lovey-dovey. And he buys her a hot dog for when he gets home and he finds her cheating and he's devastated. Um, so he goes to the bar and he orders an alcoholic beverage, I'm assuming a whiskey or something, and uh, the barman reminds him and us that Jake had quit drinking. He says, uh, I thought you, uh, oh, Jake says, uh, I thought you were a bartender, not a priest. And he says, I am a bartender. He says, then keep the fucking glass full. Which is, all this beginning is there to set up Jake as a sort of every man. Yeah. Someone he's he's handsome, mm-hmm. but he isn't someone you would necessarily look at twice in the street. No, he's that Hitchcockian um, hero. Yeah, essentially, he's the lead in this film, and he maybe isn't necessarily a lead in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, bit of a loser. Yeah. Um, bit plain, bit yeah. dim, mm-hmm. sort of, and. Doesn't really put himself out there too much. No. I mean, whilst you mentioned um, Hitchcock, and we touched on this earlier, but um, this film is very much taken from Rear Window, Vertigo, and Dial M for Murder. Yes. And everything is just mashed together into this film. And it's amazing how Brian De Palma can do this, um, completely with the Hitchcockian score, by the way. Also. Um, it's amazing how he can do this without making it look like a, a massive rip-off because, let's face it, the rear window thing has been done so many times. And it's a formula that I think really works. It really sets up a, you know, a great film. Um, but he does it in such a way, Brian De Palma, that makes it feel completely new and fresh. Yeah. At the end of the day, the wheel has been invented. Yeah. The wheel, you know, every director from a certain point is going to be influenced by the films that they've enjoyed, by the films that they've watched growing up. Yeah. And the directors that have influenced them. Mm-hmm. Brian De Palma just, he wears that on his sleeve. He does. It's very clear throughout the films. Hitchcock wouldn't would never make this film. No. He would never have made this film. Because it's very 80s. It's quite extreme. Mm-hmm. You know... But there are so many elements in the film that are Hitchcockian. Yeah. But Brian De Palma manages to make them new. And it, it, it's a criticism of De Palma that I think's plagued him pretty much throughout his whole yeah. career. Is what well, you're just ripping off Hitchcock. 
But then why does a film like this feel so fresh? Mm-hmm. You know, what well, he must be doing something. Yeah. It it's not a remake. It's certainly not a remake. No. But it's taking those elements that worked incredibly well mm-hmm. in Hitchcock's films and created something new out of it. Yeah. Which Works really fucking well. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. If you're trying too hard to make something new and to make something fresh and to do something that no one's ever done before, well, at the end of the day, maybe there's a reason no one's done it before. Yeah. Maybe it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. If something works, go for it. Yeah. I was entertained for two hours. Yeah. Um, He goes to his... um method acting class so filming's been halted his girlfriend's broke up with him cheated on him he goes to his method acting class where he may he meets sam bouchard uh scully reveals his fears and the childhood cause of his claustrophobia during some sort of um acting experiment or something Mm -hmm. like how what's the word you would use um the acting coach is getting him to yeah. act through his um, issues. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that he was young and got stuck behind the refrigerator, but couldn't call out for help for fear of his brother's ridicule. So again, it, it's Jake is someone who doesn't really put himself out there too much, isn't very vocal, isn't very loud, not necessarily proud. He's an average Joe. Um, Jake can't call out during this and ends up highly distressed and in tears Mm -hmm. much to Sam's annoyance who calls out the teacher and takes Jake to the bar where they continue drinking spoiler alert this is clearly the moment where Sam realises that Jake is the perfect target for his plan Yeah. so just to explain all of so much of what happens to Jake has been designed by Sam yeah and it, this is definitely one of those films that I appreciated a lot more on second viewing oh, yeah. than I did on the initial mm-hmm. viewing. Loved it first viewing, but I really fucking loved it this yeah. time round because you see these moments and you understand what's going on. Yeah. And it works with the themes of the film. It makes the film more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have those moments where you realise the twist, but you also get out these little pieces of the puzzle, which I love. So he takes him to the bar. They, at the bar, Scully is offered a place to stay because Carol owns the home that they lived in. So it's, you know, he's a bit of a sad act. He's a sad character, this Jake. Um, Sam's rich friend has gone on a trip to Europe and needs a house sitter for his ultra modern home in the Hollywood Hills. Very 80s home. Mm-hmm. Very 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Big round bed, lots of neon. Uh, the carpet is very 80s. I love it. And uh, I'd love to live somewhere like that. At the bar, <laughs> they um, when they're talking about Carol, uh, Scully says how when he got home, Carol was lying there with her face glowing. Like, okay, you definitely uh, don't remember what happened there. Then. <laughs> she that, wasn't, that was not she the wasn't case. <laughs> but, um, but Sam says to him, Hey, I got 16 years of good humping and not once did I get a glimmer, let alone fucking glowing. <laughs> and it's this dialogue in the film that is always so over the top um, with with sexuality that it just becomes comical after a while. 
It does, but then also I think it's believable. Yes. Yeah. People do talk like that. Yeah. Unfortunately. They do talk like that about women um when the guys get together. Uh, what I also found interesting in the bar scene is that Sam ogles the barmaid. Uh-huh. And uh, he sort of says, Oh Jake, check check out the barmaids. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows Sam's relationship with women but I also think it's a test to see if Jake is the kind of guy who would be viable for the setup Mm -hmm. number one his voyeuristic tendencies or voyeuristic potential and secondly to make sure he's heterosexual yeah and I thought that was an interesting little piece Uh to sort of you know because at the end of the day if Jake is gay yeah it ain't going to work mm-hmm. at all. Now, at the end, he's going to be slayed, but he may not come back uh-huh. for more. True. <laughs> so while touring the house with Scully, Sam is especially enthusiastic about showing him one feature, a telescope. And through it, a female neighbour called Gloria Ravel, who erotically dances at a specific time each night. Yeah. It's a sleigh. It's such a sleigh. This a sleigh. This first dance where she just dances around, starts to masturbate on the bed for him. It's just like, girl, I don't know why you're doing this. Right At this point in the film, I don't know why you're doing this right now, but fucking go for it. You're absolutely slaying the house down boots. And Sam's like, oh, uh, did you get a look at her face? And uh, no, he didn't because her fucking wig is going everywhere. Her it wig is, is all yeah. over her face <laughs> and... Yeah, she just... Oh, my God. And when you realise who it is as well, it's an even bigger sleigh. It is. It is. And these moments where Sam needs to make sure that his plan is... Work. Did yeah. you see her face? Yeah. No, I didn't no. see. Did you enjoy it? Yes, uh-huh. I did enjoy it. You know, um, I loved the ethereal music that was playing as she dances. Yes. Um, the juxtaposition of the light, airy music with the very sexual dancing Mm -hmm. and the creepy voyeurism going on as well, paired with the objectification of the woman. Yes. It's like, oh, how do I feel here? Mm -hmm. Am I, you know, I guess I'm slayed, but do I feel a little dirty? You know, I feel like this is something that we're not meant to be watching. Mm -hmm. No, that Mm -hmm. continues throughout the whole of the film. And Jake himself has that moment where he appears to question the morality of this voyeurism. But he quickly continues to watch. He does. Well, after watching the music video for The House is Burning by Viva Beat, that is. Yes. Um, which reminds me, we had this discussion earlier on. Um, this very much feels like an MTV era horror film to me. And yes. that... The music video scene just, like, cemented that. Yeah, it's it's a product of its time. Yeah. Absolutely. And for anyone who hasn't listened to any episodes where we've mentioned MTV era horror before, uh, it's films like A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Jason Lives, uh, Fright Night, Lost Boys, maybe even Crimes of Passion, to a certain extent. You know, there's the whole big point of watching a music video in that film. But like where music plays a big part in at least one or more scenes and it's just high camp and really cool, really. You know, really cool, really camp. Yeah, and it's the kind of films... Super what, 80s. Super 80s. It's the kind of films where the um, soundtrack is more memorable than the score. Yeah. To a certain degree. Yeah. You know, what you remember from 
the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, you know, even part three, mm. I would say, you remember those heavy metal songs. Yeah. You, you remember those. And it's very much in keeping with that. Um, and I think absolutely this yeah. is... I mean, there's only two needle drops on this soundtrack and one of them particularly... Now, I love the score for this film. I think the score's 10 out of 10. Yeah. Um, but the one needle drop is part of the one scene that everyone remembers about this film. Absolutely. Um, so he continues to watch her and sees her being abused by a man that she appears to know. Yeah. Um, Jake finds out that he's fired from Vampire's Kiss and goes off to the set to argue his case with the director as the shower scene is being filmed. Yes. This is the shower scene that comes back later on. Which is... But this, is this is your reference to Dress yeah. to Kill, yeah. the murder in the shower. And we're getting a little hint of a backbone here from mm-hmm. Jake as well. We, we get these little moments where the way he speaks to the bartender the way he speaks to the director, but it all definitely seems to be towards men. Yeah. Whereas when he speaks to women, particularly Gloria, he isn't as sort of um, confident, let's say. No. That evening, the like clockwork, Gloria performs at the window, this time watched by Jake and a disfigured Native American construction worker nearby. Jake seems horrified at another man voyeuristically mm-hmm. watching Gloria, but he yeah. is doing the same. Yeah. And this is a very interesting part of the film, and it's something I would talk about a lot, because I think it's the main theme of the film, is Jake's relationship to his voyeurism. Yeah. And Jake's relationship, therefore, to women. Yeah. Because he is a giant hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Massive. Massive hypocrite. Yeah. He, by watching Gloria, is a voyeur. He's a peeping Tom. Yeah. And so's this other guy. Mm-hmm. But he seems so horrified that this other guy would be like, oh, God, what, what's he doing? Yeah. You know, why is he treating Gloria like this? Because Jake thinks he's the hero. In this. Yeah. Um, he's so horrified. It makes him a, a huge hypocrite. It does. He's not really a likable lead. No. Because of that. And I don't think he's meant to be either. Mm-hmm. He's he's layered and he's very much the Hitchcockian leading man. Yeah, yeah. Where he isn't perfect. Uh the next day he follows Gloria when she goes shopping. Gloria makes calls to an unknown person who she promises to meet, and Scully also notices the Native American man from the previous evening following her too. Now, I, spoiler alert, this is Sam in disguise. Mm -hmm. This is Sam following his wife, dressed as a Native American man, including special effects, uh, makeup. I believe the choice for Sam's disguise is a very deliberate one. Yeah. Um, I think it plays on Jake's, the viewer's, and the police's biased mm-hmm. towards Native American people and also disfigured people. Yeah. Both Jake, a mild-mannered white man, and the unidentified disfigured Native American man are partaking in the same behaviour. Yeah. They're watching Gloria and following her. Are we seeing some bias from Jake towards disfigured and Native American people? Mm-hmm. Why is Jake's behaviour more acceptable than a Native American man's? Yeah. 
And I do, I do really feel like this is deliberate. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. No, to I... play on those bias yeah. towards Native Americans. Yeah. It leaves. It's difficult because it's absolutely everything you're saying is absolutely right, and I think you know, adding that adds a real interesting layer to the story. But still, seeing a white man dressed as a Native American in a film in 1984 is just like it, it's true. It, it's a difficult. It, it's a bit. It's that AT sensibility where it's like directors wouldn't think twice about it back then, which is no, you know, so shocking when you think about it now, uh, with modern filmmaking standards. But I, you know, I I do think it does add an interesting layer to the story. Yeah, it it's it's a bit like um, what's that Robert Downey Jr. film? Tropic Thunder. Tropic yeah. Thunder, where there's been a lot of discourse about whether that is racist or not. Mm-hmm. Because Robert Downey Jr. isn't playing a, a black man. He's playing a actor who is yeah. performing in blackface. Yeah. And that's the point. Uh-huh. That is the point of that role. Now, I can't speak on anyone's behalf. And, and I, I won't, you know, I'll just sort of explain how I see that the, it fits in this context. Because Sam is not a likeable character. No. Sam is our villain. So Sam wouldn't think twice about playing on the bias towards Native Americans mm-hmm. to get his results. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a deliberate choice by the filmmakers. Yeah. I don't have any evidence to, you know, back that up. I don't have receipts. But I think, and that's how I interpret that. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it, it is... You know, maybe there was a better way of going about that, mm-hmm. um, and definitely a product of its time. But I do think it suits a purpose. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's also it's interesting as well. Um, I seen a little later on where, um, where he finally gets to speak to Glory for the first time, Scully, and he tells her someone's following her, and she's like, "Yeah, I know," and then just like looks at him, and it's kind of like he doesn't even think about it himself, and he's like, "Oh no, not me." It's like actually, yeah, it is you. Absolutely, it, it is you. Absolutely. He, he thinks that he's the hero in this. Yeah. And is it beyond the realm of possibility that this Native American man is in exactly the same position as Jake? Obviously, we know that not to be true, but Jake doesn't know that. What no. What is the possibility that, that this Native American man is trying to protect Gloria from Jake? Yeah. Because he's seen Jake spying on her. Uh-huh. He's seen Jake following her around the mall. Yeah. Um, I think it, yeah, I think it's a very interesting plot point, mm-hmm. and I do think it's deliberate. If it's not, then tell me. But I, I do think it is deliberate. What I do like as well is, um, obviously Deborah Shelton, very beautiful woman, but Brian De Palma wanted to make sure that she photographed well from behind, mm-hmm. as he knew we would be seeing her from the back a yeah. lot, and it, it's for her character, the character of Gloria. For a lot of it, we don't see her face. No. She has very large sunglasses on. We see her a lot from behind Mm -hmm. because we're always... Well, not always, but for the majority of the time, we are from Jake's viewpoint. Yes. Watching her, watching her from behind at the mall uh, when she has these large glasses. It's it's never clear to see her face. No. Uh, Obviously, that's very deliberate with the revelation that it wasn't her in the window. Mm-hmm. Um, Gloria, she tries on some knickers in a shop 
with the curtain slightly open enough for Jake to see, leading to security being called. Um, question. I didn't think you were allowed to try on underwear. No, in shops. I didn't think that either. <laughs> it doesn't. It's, it's. When I worked at Sainsbury's, we weren't allowed to take back any underwear that wasn't defective. Mm hmm. Because obviously that's really unhygienic. It is. Yeah. Why is she trying not <laughs> This is what I'm like, uh, okay, what's happening here? <laughs> what's the purpose of this? Um, he's watching her through the window. Mm-hmm. She, The curtain isn't quite closed enough. No. And it's a reminder that Jake is, by all intents and purpose, a giant fucking creep. He thinks he's protecting her, but gleefully watches her in what should be a safe space. Mm -hmm. Yes, the curtain has been left open a slight bit, but a true gentleman wouldn't be gawping. No. He would probably go in and close it Mm -hmm. and, you know, protect her from prying eyes. Now, the only prying eyes are his. Yes. Uh, He sees the Native American man following Gloria yet again Mm -hmm. in the mall, and he himself follows her into an elevator that quickly fills up, triggering Jake's claustrophobia. The Native American man tries to enter the elevator, but it's too full, his appearance generating a reaction from the crowd equal parts disgust and laughter. Yeah. So a couple of the women say, did you see that guy? Mm -hmm. And start laughing. So his mere appearance has created a judgment from those people. Yeah. And again, you know, I said it before, I feel like this is deliberate and it's meant to have us question our bias towards Mm -hmm. people who look a certain way, you know, and the characters themselves, Jake's and, you know, everyone, (laughs) everyone. Scully then follows Gloria to a seaside motel where she was apparently stood up by the person she was there to meet. As she collects her key... And walks to the motel. Every man that passes her gives her a second glance. Yeah. Um, an ogling glance. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because obviously, again, Jake is doing this himself. But Gloria's mere existence as a beautiful woman has led to her being constantly watched. Yeah. So it's it's not just the performance that she puts on mm-hmm. at night that she's being watched. Just, you know, she's in a full-length dress. Um, She's got her face pretty much covered with hair and and her sunglasses. And yet she's still being watched by men. She's constantly being watched. And I think it it sort of brings in all men's relationship, all heterosexual men's relationship with women. Mm -hmm. And the way they see women and view women. Yeah. And particularly, you know, conventionally attractive women. Yeah. At the end of the day, if um, Gloria wasn't a conventionally attractive woman, mm-hmm. would we be getting this story? Exactly. It's highly unlikely. No. On the beach, the Native American man suddenly appears and snatches Gloria's purse. Scully chases him into a nearby tunnel, but his claustrophobia overcomes him. She um, goes and helps him, doesn't yeah. she? Gloria walks Jake out of the tunnel and they impulsively and passionately kiss before she retreats. And it's this scene where she's, he says, excuse me, someone's following you. She says, I know. And he's like, well, it's not me. 
Yeah. It is. But they still have the big romantic kiss. They the, do. They get the carry treatment. Um, the camera circles them. Love that. I, I love that. One thing I, I missed in this film, and it's not a huge thing, is the um, split screen. Yeah. But we do get the carry at the prom camera work yeah. circling as they kiss. I love it. And it, it's clearly De Palma's way of showing romance. Uh-huh. And it, it, it is a romantic moment. Yeah. And again, juxtap- the juxtaposition between this romantic moment and the reminder that this is creepy. This isn't this mm-hmm. isn't a romantic film. No. This is creepy. He's been following her. Yeah. She asks, you know, did my husband hire you? And he says no, but then they still kiss. Mm -hmm. So Jake is also a hypocrite in this sense. As someone who has recently been devastated by cheating, Mm -hmm. Jake should not be kissing a married woman. No. Now, her her story is irrelevant to this, Mm -hmm. really, you know. But from his perspective, he definitely shouldn't be kissing a married woman. No. I don't know, he rehearses for a phone call with Gloria, to which he says... Hi, Gloria, it's Jake. You might remember me. I'm the guy who almost fucked you at the beach today. Yeah. Again, that's his relationship with women. She's the one who stops it. He would have gone all the way Mm -hmm. if he could. He's infatuated with her. Yeah. But she is the one who leaves, you know, and being the loser that he is, he's there practising calling Gloria. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sam calls him to check up on him slash remind him of their favourite neighbour. Clearly to make sure he's watching the yeah. show. Because then what happens is uh, Jake sees the Native American return and break into Gloria's home. Scully races to save Gloria, but her vicious white German shepherd attacks him. And the Native American murders Gloria with a huge handheld drill. And this is an expertly directed scene. I mean, oh. We get the dial-in for murder reference with the telephone cord. Uh-huh. Um, trying, he's trying to strangle her with that. She knocks him out. She thinks that's it. You know, she get away, but he slowly rises behind her. The whole drill thing was given a bit of slumber party massacre. This is after the slumber party massacre, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's such a great sequence, and you actually think there's a chance he might get there in time to save her, but uh, no, he does not. Yeah, incredibly well directed, incredibly tense, um, really well made. Like you said, the the drill is obviously phallic. Yeah. It's not subtle whatsoever. Uh, when he does kill her, he we see him from behind and the drill is between his legs yeah. whilst Gloria's on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just really expertly done. Fantastic. And, you know, it's pure Hitchcock. It yes, is. it's pure Hitchcock. But it goes somewhere where Hitchcock was never able to go. It makes it truly yeah. violent and, and sort of over the top and really slaps you in the face with that yeah. phallic symbolism. Yeah. Um, yeah, just really incredible. Yeah. And interestingly, this is both the audience's and Jake's first time within Gloria's home. Yeah. All we and Jake have seen before this has been through the lens of the telescope as yeah. voyeurs. And it's a film that expertly puts you in the point of view of Jake. Mm-hmm. Now, for all his faults, Jake is our main guy. Yeah. He's our lead actor. And we always see things from his perspective. Mm-hmm. Watching 
people. Yeah. It puts us there. It makes us feel uncomfortable. It, you know, it should make Jake feel uncomfortable. And I think it does to a certain degree, as, as we've seen. But it makes the viewer feel uncomfortable, knowing that what is happening is wrong. Yeah. Something like Rear Window, it, it's never necessarily like that. It's the intrigue of what's been seen. It's not, I don't think, expressly said that, you know, watching your neighbours isn't a great thing. Mm -hmm. it, it is in the sense that it gets them into trouble, but this yeah. is creepy. This is bordering on, and it, actually, I say bordering, this is illegal. Yeah. What he's doing is illegal. Mm -hmm. It's creepy. He's a creep. Yeah. And we're in on it, which to a certain degree. We're reminded of when the police show up. Yes. And, uh, you know, raises a few points. And that's where it kind of slaps you in the face. Like, oh, yeah, we've been watching someone who is just as in the wrong here as this guy who's been stalking her and just murdered her. Yeah, yeah. Because Scully alerts the police who rule the murder a botched robbery. However, Detective Jim uh, McLean becomes suspicious after finding a pair of glorious panties in Scully's pocket. Although McLean does not arrest him, he tells Scully that his voyeuristic behaviour and failure to alert police sooner helped cause Gloria's death. It's true. Yeah. It, it, it is 100% true. Now, he stole... So when Gloria changed her underwear, she put her old underwear in the bin, mm -hmm. in a bag at the mall, and seemingly Jake went and grabbed them yeah. and kept them for himself. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, what a weirdo. Yeah. What an absolute creep. You know, and it, it's true what the detective says. He says, you know, I mean, you're the only witness to this murder and you're a peeper. Yeah. Although Jake is our hero and he thinks that he's the hero in the story, he's actually been a major hindrance. Yeah. Why weren't the police... If he's there to protect Gloria, mm -hmm. as he thinks he is, why did he not call the police... He knows where she lives. Mm -hmm. He could have helped out. You know, yeah. I think someone's following Gloria. They've stolen from her. She was mugged. Why have you not called the police previously? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, Guy Boyd, he plays uh, the detective. Mm -hmm. He was in Foxcatcher, Taking Chance and Streamers. And Oh my God, I loved him in this film because he looks and acts exactly like someone straight out of a Hitchcock film. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like someone's gone in a time machine and grabbed him. Like, it's ridiculous. He really nails it. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's one of two characters, really, um, him and Holly, who yeah. tell it like it is. Yeah. And uh, it's better for it. And they talk. <laughs> like, they've got that um, that classic Hollywood voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If it, yeah, he's classic Hollywood. And then, obviously, Marilyn Monroe with Melanie Griffin. Yeah. Um, we learn that Gloria, well, the detective says that Gloria was a rich lady. When rich women die, we usually go after the husband. But you've told us that it was a Native American intruder that killed Gloria. Again, Jake's infatuation with Gloria and his inability to mind his own business and not play the hero mm -hmm. has been both his and her undoing. Yeah. Because, spoiler alert, it was her husband that mm -hmm. killed her. Yeah. But no one's going to investigate the husband because Jake has created this alibi. Yeah. And Jake has created this alibi because he is a dirty pervert. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. 
later that night, suffering from insomnia and watching a pornographic television channel, Scully sees porn actress Holly Body dancing sensuously, exactly as Gloria did. Just before that, we get an interview with Queen Linda Shaw. <laughs> From production company Linda Shaw Enterprises. Linda Shaw Enterprises. <laughs> I mean, we love a queen who takes care of business. They have films coming out like Deep Ghost, The Mating Game, One Night at a Time, uh, and a new film opening uh, on that Friday at the Pussy Flick Theatre called Bold Obsession. And the interviewer says, Tell us, Linda, what is your bold obsession? She's like, See, Sid, that script is written specifically for me because I'm a bit of an expositionist. He's like, do you mean exhibitionist? It's like, yeah, I just get excited when I know they're out there watching me. And this is seemingly the media that Jake has been um, watching. Yeah. It it doesn't seem like something he doesn't normally do, Mm -hmm. watching these late night porn channels. Yeah. And if this is the idea of who women are that he's been getting from yeah. these channels. I don't think it necessarily judges this, but it judges men's interpretation uh-huh. of this. Because porn is, like film, and it's something I'll be talking about a lot, is an illusion. Yeah. It's film. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Yeah. When Linda Shaw says that she's an exhibitionist, mm-hmm. she's not. No. She's not an exhibitionist. But she says this, which she might be. Okay, I don't know for a fact. But Linda Shaw is a character that this porn actress is playing. Yeah. It's, you know, what she believes men like. Mm -hmm. And men like Jake do like this. Yeah. Because he's been watching Gloria every night. Yeah. He is, you know, a voyeur. He has been watching and if this is what he's been watching and this is his interpretation of what women like, mm-hmm. then that explains why he doesn't see necessary fault in what he's been doing. No, there's also some great uh, reviews of Holly Does Hollywood, uh, Holly Body's film, where they say, Holly Does Hollywood keeps the genre where it belongs in the gutter. The gone with the wind of adult films. <laughs> Uh, and in a hedonist's heaven, Hustler magazine gives it Hustler's highest rating. <laughs> Ten nominations, including Best Picture at the Critics Adult Film Association, <laughs> starring Holly Body, Holly Does Hollywood, now playing at the X Cinema. And for, <laughs> and for you home viewers, you can pick it up right now at Tower Records all night video sale. <laughs> uh, it was showing at the X Cinema, LA's classiest X rated movie house. <laughs> And it's in this trailer where Brink Stevens makes her appearance. There's, it is. There appears to be some sort of orgy scene going on. And it's a very daring role for Melanie Griffith. It is. There's a lot yeah. of nudity involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably why De Palma didn't think that a mainstream actress would do the mm-hmm. role. There's a lot of nudity involved. But I think it's quite an empowering role. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll find that when we meet, yeah. when we slash Jake meet Holly Body, mm-hmm. we'll f- realise that. Um, do you think that Bold Obsession uh, from the Linda Shaw, uh, uh, Linda Shaw Enterprises uh, production company, do you think that's a reference to Obsession? 
Yeah, probably. Ooh, another film yeah. heavily uh, from Brian De Palma that was heavily influenced mm-hmm. by Hitchcock. Yeah, like maybe even more than this. Yeah, uh, and and Vertigo. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think he does actually make reference to a lot of his own films. He, he is does. kind of in on the joke a lot uh-huh. within this, and I think that is deliberate. So Jake sets up an audition and gets a part in Holly's newest film, which we see being filmed in a club as a performance of Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. This is probably the film's most famous set piece, part music video, part porn film, and it is excellent. It is, and it just, it kind of comes out of no, no pun intended, comes out of nowhere, because, you know, he finishes this audition scene, and as soon as he gets to this set, you know, he's greeted by Holly Johnson, pointing out a Holly Does Hollywood poster. Yeah. Um, you know, Frankie goes to Hollywood performing relax. He guides him down to the bar where women and men are in the leather. It's extremely gay, extremely camp. Holly Johnson's carried away by a bunch of men in leather. Yeah. It's very uh, much like the actual music video. Yeah. I'm surprised Brian De Palma didn't do the actual music video. Uh, did he or didn't he? I don't he might... think so. He may have done. I, I mean... think a few of the um, extras are from yeah. the music video too. Well... Um, this entire sequence features Penthouse pinup centerfold Lindsay Freeman, adult film star and actress Annette Haven, who was going to be cast as uh, Holly originally, Cara Lott, uh, horror movie screen queen, of course, Brooke Stevens, and it was filmed on the same set as the nightclub scene in Fright Night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very 80s. Yes. Very 80s. Yeah. Um, Scully makes his way into an area titled Sluts, which is a dressing room for the porn stars. This is where I thought it was finds... the toilet. It's was the it? ladies' toilet. Yeah, but then there's also a dressing room there as well with sluts on the door. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, which is where he finds Holly Body. Um, oh my god, absolutely. My soul left my body when I saw her in this outfit. <laughs> yes. Slayed to the ground and built back up again, slayed all over again. Oh my god, this leather outfit is just absolutely everything. As Chris would have said in, was it last week's episode or the week before? It is a serve. It's a serve. It is a serve. serve. It's it's a serve. Uh, (laughs) It's a uh, Wimbledon Centre Court serve. Yes. So good. Um, Yeah, so what we witness is Jake. He's dressed in thick-rimmed glasses and a very unflattering jumper. Mm -hmm. Stumble upon an S&M club and... Their surroundings that he appears ill-equipped for, which I think is very much in keeping with the film. Yeah. He's, you know, a bit of a, a geek, a bit of a loser, and he finds himself in a situation that he doesn't know how to deal with. Yeah. Um, he kisses... So he finds Hollybody um, behind the, the slut's door, mm-hmm. and they kiss... Yeah. And then start having sex. Mm-hmm. And then the illusion is broken yeah. when we see the reflection of the camera mm-hmm. in a mirror. And we realise that this is a porn film. Yeah. And that's what we've been watching. This isn't Jake. This is Jake performing in a porn mm-hmm. film. So him and Holly kiss and have sex. And we get flashbacks to his kiss with Gloria on the beach. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is sort of looking at romance versus fucking. Yeah. And, you know, 
his infatuation, and this is what we find out by the end of the film, is that Jake's infatuation with Gloria actually stems mm-hmm. from Holly's dancing. Yeah. This is where it all... But he actually never saw Gloria uh, do perform like that. No. That, that's not... His, his vision of Gloria is actually his vision of Holly. Yeah. And their initial kiss, Gloria and Jake's, is seen as a big romantic moment, mm-hmm. reminiscent of Carrie at the prom. Yeah. Whereas... Uh, his first interaction with Holly is seen as just sex in a porn film. Mm-hmm. Yet Holly is actually being the object of his affection the whole yeah. time. And I think that's very interesting. And Jake gets so into it mm-hmm. that they don't, that the filmmakers, they don't get their cum shot. No. To which we get, where's the cum shot? I thought we were doing body talk here, not last tango. <laughs> but speaking of, um, speaking of cum, and uh, this entire sequence. <laughs> um, it's it's amusing that this film had so much controversy surrounding it and its sexual nature and whatnot, when it includes Relax, Don't Do It by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, which was controversial in itself and was actually banned from BBC Radio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a big controversy here. A fantastic song. I love that song. I think Frankie Goes to Hollywood highly underrated. Oh, yeah. The... I think the the music's so good. Yeah. But I think it's also interesting. The fact that Jake um, doesn't give them the comb shot, he gets so into it. And he seems like a character who gets so into everything. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, Jake loves Carol neon sign. Yeah. He probably bought that. Mm -hmm. His infatuation with Gloria. Yeah. And now his passion for Holly, the moment that he just met her, mm-hmm. and he goes so full into it that they don't get their, their money shot for yeah. the film. And I think that's perfectly encapsulate his relationship with women, where he falls fast and falls hard, and it turns him into a creep. Yeah. Um. In order to meet with Holly Offset, he pretends to be a porn producer hiring for a new film. He goes into a dressing room and offers to take her out for a drink. And Jake now is an actor playing a role. He's got greased back hair, a leather jacket and a bravado that we haven't seen from him before. Mm -hmm. And um, they go out for their drink and he says, I'd like you to be in my new film. And Hollybody says, uh, I do not do animal acts. I do not do S&M or any variations of that particular bent. No water sports either. I will not shave my pussy, no fist fucking, and absolutely no coming in my face. I get $2,000 a day and I do not work without a contract. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. You know, again, this this is Melanie Griffith. I've got a mind for business and a body for yeah. sin. Mm-hmm. This, you know, Holly, she's behind a door... It says sluts. Yeah. But she ain't. No. She's a fierce businesswoman. Mm-hmm. She knows exactly what it's about. She knows exactly what she has to do. And she'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's great representation. I, I, yeah. I really do. Of sex work and just her, her dialogue, not just this one, but later on as well. Her as a character, I think is great representation. Yeah. But people would get caught up in what she's talking about, mm-hmm. not really what she's saying and yeah. what that really means 
to her as a porn actress. Um, Jake uh, tells her, you know, you're fantastic, really, sensational. And I'll tell you something else. You've got a terrific, and Holly says, body. And he says, no, smile. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's taken aback by that. Yeah. Because no one's ever told her she's had a nice smile. Mm -hmm. They tell her she has a nice body. And she kind of warms up to him a little bit yeah. there. Um, which I thought was a nice little touch for her as a character. And how she has been, it, like Gloria, the victim of the male gaze. Yeah. And people only tell her that she has a nice body. Never tell her that she has a nice smile. Mm -hmm. Such as Gloria, who's been objectified throughout the, the first half of the film. Yeah. Um, Scully learns from Holly that Sam hired her to impersonate Gloria each night, dancing in the window, knowing Scully would be watching and later witness the real Gloria's murder. Offended when he suggests that she was involved in a killing, Holly storms out of the house. She, um, as she's storming out of the house, she says uh, some more great dialogue. She does. Uh, weirdo, so many weird people I should never have moved to Hollywood. Fucking freaky actors. That's what there is here. Masochistic directors. I should have known when he didn't even know what a cum shot was. <laughs> um, now, that's Holly Body talking about porn films. Yeah. Do you think that that could also, minus the cum shot, do you think that could also be the case for any young actress in Hollywood? Oh, definitely. Yeah, 100%. You know, having to deal with... Horrible men. Mm -hmm. Horrible directors. Yeah. Weird directors. Um, there's nothing come out about Brian De Palma. Has there? Not that I know of. No. no. Um, so he could be, you know, in a way, speaking on that as well. And what actresses have to go through in Hollywood. Uh -huh. um, these fucking weirdos. Yeah. Objectifying them and being creeps and pieces of shit. Mm -hmm. Tale as old as time. As yeah. far as I'm concerned. Still to this very day. Mm -hmm. Um, the Native American picks her up. She needs to get a lift. She needs to get out of there. And he knocks her unconscious and drives away with her. Another woman in danger because Jake thinks that he's the hero. He yeah. has brought her into this. She didn't actually have... She was just doing a job. Mm -hmm. She got paid. And she, you know, performed. Yeah. She's a businesswoman. That's what she does. Mm -hmm. If Jake had any inkling of her being part of it, he should have told the police. Yeah. Not go to her directly. Because go in going to her directly, he's now put her in immediate yeah. danger. Mm -hmm. Yet again, Jake, mind your fucking business. Mm -hmm. Scully follows them to a reservoir where the Native American is digging a grave. Scully attacks him and in the scuffle peels his face off to reveal it as a mask worn by Sam. Scully has been set up in a scapegoat by Sam, who is in fact Gloria's abusive husband, Alex, to provide him with an alibi during the murder. Scully is overpowered and thrown into the grave. Though his claustrophobia initially inca uh, incapacitates him again, he overcomes his fear and climbs out and Sam is knocked into the aqueduct by the German shepherd, and drowned. Yes. Hopefully the German Shepherd survived. Um, no I, idea. <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. Um, the German Shepherd. Mm. 
more of a protector yeah. than Jake ever was. That's true. Yeah. Uh, of Gloria mm-hmm. when Jake goes round while she's being murdered. And the German Shepherd actually may have saved the day. Yeah. Because he's clearly not a fan of Sam. Uh-huh. He pushed him into the fucking aqueduct. Yeah. You know, clearly he's been, you know, witness to Gloria being abused by Sam. Mm-hmm doesn't like Sam, clearly doesn't trust anyone apart from Gloria, which is why the dog attacked Jake. Mm -hmm. And then Jake has, the dog has then protected Jake by attacking Sam. Mm -hmm. Not because he likes Jake, but because he doesn't like Sam. Yeah. And I I think that's, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but I think that's very interesting Mm -hmm. that Jake thought he was the hero, but it's actually the dog. Which I love. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand what percent. I, I mean, what I love about it is Holly wakes up and she still doesn't trust um, doesn't trust Jake. She's I mean, not witness to any of she's it. She's like, I know what you are. You're one of those necrophiliacs, a corpse fucker. You want me, but the only problem is I'm still moving. Yeah. And, it's, you know, she's still like, she won't go near him. She stays in the grave. She'd rather stay in that grave than go anywhere near him. And she's completely justified. Yeah. Because he, not too long ago, has you know, told her that he is a voyeur. Yeah. That he had been watching Gloria and then accuses her of being part of a murder. Mm-hmm. Of course she's not going to trust him. Um, I love, love, love that shot from the grave. Yeah. When it sort of zooms and the grave looks about a thousand metres tall. Uh-huh. And Sam's at the top. Um, really, really love that shot. And it is very, again, very Hitchcockian to have a hero save the day essentially, kind of, from a situation that he's, in part, at least, responsible for. He didn't save the Due day. to his own shortcomings. He didn't save the, the day, the dog the, did. Dog, the dog <laughs> saved the day, but he, he, you know, I mean, I suppose he was there to save her. I know, yeah, I suppose that's <laughs> true. But in films like Vertigo, Strangers on a Train, Rear Window, yeah. they kind of get themselves out of situations that are kind of in part responsible for. Uh-huh. Um, during the ending credits, Scully is shown having been recast in his previous vampire role as Holly watches from the sidelines. And th- I love this. It's uh, almost like a behind-the-scenes tidbit, mm-hmm. no pun intended, of how body doubles work and yeah. the illusion of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, clearly... A reference to the shower scene in Dress to Kill, where Angie Dickinson had her body double for the nudity, and um, the they they sort of they have the, the woman in the shower and she's got a bra on and he's behind and and holding her, and they have put a stick, don't they? Yeah. So he keeps his hand in the right place. She leaves, and then the other woman comes and she's topless. Yeah. And, the camera pans down so that we see her breasts with his hand Mm -hmm. and it's all in the same position and it's very mechanical. Yeah. It's not sexy whatsoever Mm -hmm. at all. No. It's actually incredibly awkward, Mm -hmm. but then you see the result of it and it's meant to be, Ooh, yeah. Sexy and shower and, and all that business. And I just, I love that sort of um, idea of, you know, the illusion of this woman having a lovely time mm-hmm. in the shower when really it is thousand percent awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Holly says to uh, the, the actress who 
that has the stand-in. Just, you know, you're going to get a lot of dates when this comes out. And I, I think that's interesting because it's the illusion that these breasts are the actresses. Mm -hmm. And then that's what will get her a lot of dates when men see the film. Yeah. Men who have been taken in by the illusion that these are her breasts mm -hmm. specifically. And that's why they want to date her is because they think that she has these lovely large breasts on the big screen. And yeah. That's who she is. And she's all very sexual because they take, they're taken in by the illusion of the, the actress must be whoever's being played on screen. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. It's acting. It's yeah. an illusion. And that's body double. It is. It is, yeah. And I think in, in many ways, the, the whole film is about illusion. I think so. And what we choose to believe. Brian De Palma said, you know, filmmaking is an illusion. Filmmakers, in a way, create illusions for us. Twists and turns in the narrative. And sometimes we, as audiences, get caught up in what's real mm -hmm. and what's not. Um, you know, and you see the discourse online with so many of these films where people yeah. get really worked up or they get really horny for these actresses and actors and they get caught up in everything, mm -hmm. the illusion of filmmaking. Um, but I think Body Double in it itself seeks to remind people that this is, it's just film. It's yeah. not real. It's all an illusion. And I think Sam, in many ways, is a film director. Yeah. You know, he casts a lead role, lead actor, quite literally. Mm -hmm. He is an actor. He hires a body double. He uses special effects. He sets up these murder scenes for an audience, for us and for Jake. Yeah. You know, Jake is both the lead actor in Sam's film and a member of the audience. Watching as the narrative plays out has Sam designed, uh, watching as the narrative plays out, as Sam designed, despite his insistence that he could be the hero yeah. of the film. Um, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I really you know, I love it. People know we love a film with layers, and that's exactly what this is. There's Absolutely. so many layers here. But it's also a film you can just sit down and enjoy without thinking too much about. It's, you know, there's a lot of camp fun, and yeah, it's just... Pure 80s. Yeah. So much 80s charm there. And I just love seeing that in film. Yeah. I think everyone does their job really well. Yeah. I love Brian De Palma's style of filmmaking. I, I, I live for his shots, the cinematography, um, his use of camera work. The soundtrack is fantastic. Um, I, just, I just love it. You know, yeah. it's a very entertaining film. And, you know, I may be accused of overthinking these things but it has layers and it is interesting and it does have something to say yeah and i love that mm -hmm. i just yeah i i love it let's get to the awards biggest queen obviously it's holly body it's holly body definitely um business queen yeah knows exactly what she's about knows exactly what she has to do to get where she wants i love it very much, Working Girl is one of my favourite films of all time. And this is very much a precursor in many ways. I, yeah. can, I can see why she got the role in Working Girl based on this film. Uh, biggest Gasp, 
I, judging from the first time I watched it, it's got to go to the killer reveal. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I put Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah. I think just the first time I, I watched it and that happened and I was like, oh, yeah, what is this? What's going uh-huh. on? It's so out of nowhere. Uh, best dialogue I've got. I should have known when he didn't even know what a cum shot was. Yeah. <laughs> I put, uh, excuse me, someone's following you. I know. Well, it's not me. Because I think it encapsulates a lot of what the film's uh-huh. about. And that's camp is where I'm giving it to Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That entire porn set sequence is high camp. It is absolutely high camp. Uh, but I, I didn't want to double up. So I uh, I chose Linda Shaw Enterprises. Well, for, uh, for ratings, <laughs> I give it nine Linda Shaw Enterprises productions out of ten. Nice. I gave it ten Pussy Flick theatre screenings out of ten. And masterpiece, trash piece, trash or basic. I would say it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece, definitely. Uh, it's available on Blu-ray, DVD, and video on demand. And if you enjoy this, I recommend checking out Knife and Heart, another film based around a porn set with a killer. And do you know what? It's gay. It is, yeah, fantastic choice, Gary. I highly recommend Knife and Heart. Uh, I chose Dress to Kill. Uh, another Brian De Palma film, very much in the same vein, mm-hmm. um, but just a really, really yeah. great film. Out of the out of all of his films, this and Dress to Kill are definitely the most similar to each other, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, talk to us on social media if you enjoyed this. We're Horrorcourt Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmer205 on Instagram, and GazCruz92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. We are edging closer to our horror festival Gasp, uh, which takes place on the 17th and 18th of June in Manchester at Coltplex. Go to Gasp Horror Fest across all social media for more details. And if you enjoyed what you heard here, then give us a rate review and subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on everything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. Next week, we have guests. Yes, it's been a while. Love having guests on the podcast. We have our fellow Northern Nerds here. uh, A a group chat we have set up called that because no one else would get it otherwise I explained. Um, We have George from Tipsy Flicks and Kim from Kim Cinema Escape returning. This time together and we are all gathering together to discuss the Netflix movie The Tall Girl. Yeah, I haven't heard too much about the tall girl. So... It's entirely their choice. Yeah, so I, yeah. I trust we'll see it's... how that goes. Yeah. I trust. I do trust their opinion. So yeah. it should make for a fantastic episode. Yeah. So make sure you join us. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Bye. Bye.